views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. You know, we do whatever we do to survive. Drop it! Hello and welcome to Political Prisoner Radio's weekly podcast. My name is Scotty Reed, of course. Today's date is January 10th, 2015, and we have some information that we would like to share with you uh, during this podcast. We don't have a guest scheduled for you this week, so it'll just be myself, uh, Sister Amigio's off tonight, and that's why you're only going to hear my voice uh, tonight on Political Prisoner Radio's weekly podcast. So a lot of the information that we share can be found on our Facebook page, which is Political Prisoner Radio. Just type that in the Facebook engine. You'll be able to find that. If you would like to find the archive podcast of past programs that we have done on this series, on this weekly broadcast, then uh, go to blacktalkradionetwork.com and you will see the listing for Political Prisoner Radio in the menu hover over that you'll get a drop down box that will reveal the link to the archive podcast uh some of the things that i want to uh share with you uh getting right off the bat jumping right off the bat um right now we still see that drama playing out in oregon i've done a series of broadcasts uh last week pertaining to the situation of the bundy boys of uh, the sons of Clive and Bundy, for those that don't know, that was the Texas rancher who was not paying his grazing fees. And when the federal government uh, came after him for the money he did not pay to have his cattle grazing on federal public lands, uh, he gathered a posse and they pointed guns at weapons. And there was pretty much a standoff and nothing ever happened after that. I guess the uh, law enforcement officers just went away. now we're seeing similar activity going on in Oregon with the Bundy boys, the sons of Clive and Bundy, who left Texas uh, to go to, excuse me, Oregon uh, to participate in protests and demonstrations on behalf of two uh, men who have been convicted of arson. Um, They were convicted by a jury of their peers. They also agreed to a plea deal to have some of the charges dropped. Now, we know here on Political Prisoner Radio, just because somebody has been convicted or they did a plea deal because they were um, not confident that in their defense attorneys and whatnot. But for whatever reasons, we know that there are a lot of innocents who have pled guilty or have been found guilty in our occupying you know spaces on these prison plantations and so many of our uh, political prisoners are in fact you know uh, innocent uh, even if they were forced to take action in self-defense in defense of their life or in the defense of other lives so that is not the case with 
these two uh, ranchers in Oregon. Uh, they had paid their fees, but they also, um, according to one of their relatives, according to uh, court testimony and, and just uh, the information surrounding the details of that case, these guys also slaughtered deer illegally. And to cover that up, they started a fire. Uh, they even got a juvenile to participate. They testified against them, a juvenile family member. So I would not call these men political prisoners, and I would not call their cause uh, as being worthy. Now, if you want to talk about mandatory minimums, which the people who are rallying and occupying a federal building in Oregon, they're not talking about mandatory minimum minimums. They're only concerned about these two men, and it seems like they're trying to use these two men to just really uh, just, I don't know, grab attention. I'm still trying to see the purpose. You know, they're claiming that the United States government is trampling their rights and they're doing this for all of us. Uh, no, these are not the type of people that we talk about on political prisoner radio. They were not trying to defend the community against police terrorism. Uh, they were not um, trying to feed children in, in the community. They weren't holding political education classes. None of the survival programs that the United States, um, excuse me, that the Black Panther Party um, had organized in various communities across the nation. So, no, these are not political uh, prisoners whatsoever. But the aspect of the case and how I'm going to relate this to our political prisoners is, you know, many of you may know that the Black Panther Party was first named the Black Panther Party for self-defense. And the self-defense aspect was defense against defending the community against police terrorism. All right. And they were the first cop watchers where well, they may not have been the first, but they're the first uh, that I have seen documented of being organized cop watchers that followed the police in the community and from a reasonable distance stands back and observes or form the person being stopped by the police of their rights and also informing officers of the law uh, of the law not officers of the law but they were informing the officers of what the law was that the officers were violating in uh, violating the rights of the person that they had detained in the community so um they were armed they were armed uh, for their own protection, for for the protection of the community, as we see uh, police officers across the nation. And here we are in the 21st century um, are not really that hesitant to gun people down in the streets. And, and even though they know it, chances are they could get caught on video or that dash cam video may not get erased. And some journalists will come around and sue for it to be released and then it gets released and so they still do this despite this you know techn technology that most people have in their hands and there's always that chance that what the murder they're about to commit could be caught on video now you think about if they're willing to still engage in the um, extrajudicial killings that they're engaged in today just think about what they were doing uh, in the 1960s when the Panthers became active. Yes, when the Panthers became active, you know, when people did not have cell phone technology in the palm of their hand or video technology in the palm of their hand, 
and you know there were not widespread uh, videos being floated around uh, so that millions of people could watch them because they didn't have the internet so I'm sure that the police felt very confident about uh, killing people and getting away with it so you know um, they were armed but I am all for Second Amendment rights, uh, regardless if, you know, the uh, Second Amendment talks about militias being created. And we know that those militias were part of the slave patrols and whatnot. Uh, but they say in the Constitution that, you know, for the security of a free state, then, you know, you must have armed militias. Now, you know, some people interpret that differently. I interpret it as we have the right. To form militias, to arm ourselves, to train and organize uh, against terrorism, no matter whether it is terrorism of the state, terrorism of individuals. We have that right. Um, so, but when the Black Panther Party were organizing uh, around the Second Amendment and not organizing around the Second Amendment, but using the Second Amendment, their Second Amendment rights to bear arms, uh, to form militias, whether we want to call them cop watching or whatever, you know, we can call them militias, uh, even though today they try to have a negative connotation on that name, but that's what they were. And white people back then, and especially the state, had a remarkably uh, different response towards black people carrying guns as to uh, these militias that we see around the country, these white militias, predominantly white people with their guns and specifically these people in Oregon but you know um, nobody's talking bad again about taking away their rights or anything like that but I tell you man when black people when the Black Panther Party picked up the gun and many of the members of the Black Panther Party are elders now and many of them are still in prison and in fact are political prisoners but um, you know Back in California, you know, because the Black Panther Party was started in Oakland, California, and then became a nationwide uh, organization, uh, governor at the time, uh, Ronald Reagan, and other politicians had a, a remarkably different response than what I'm seeing today. Uh, when Clive and Bunny and his posse, which included his sons, were pointing their guns, so-called defending their property, um, at law enforcement, pointing guns at law enforcement officers and threatening violence and self-defense and, and all of that. Uh, what's going on in Oregon today with the Bundy boys leading, you know, uh, this so-called militia uh, from Texas in Oregon. You know, we don't see the politicians now talking about, oh, we need to repeal the Second Amendment. No, we don't hear that. We need to disarm everybody. No, they're, they're saying, you know, they're, they're adamant, whether they are for gun control or not, they're adamant that they're not trying to take people's guns away or prevent them from care, openly carrying them. But, you know, uh, that was a different story in the 60s. Uh, and, and so we're going to listen to this audio clip that was posted by Race for the Times on Facebook uh, titled Black Panther Party Pick Up the Gun. Uh, this was made, uh, I guess it was filmed on May 2nd in 1967. So let's give it a listen. This is a race for the times. Thank you for joining us for this important hour of information. We're about to smack to your dome. 
Reagan, then the governor, was on the lawn with 200 future leaders of America, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids. And these kids started leaving his session on the line and coming to see us. These young white kids thought we were a gun club. They're heavily armed, whether their weapons are loaded or not, nobody seems to know. Wait a minute, now wait a minute. Wait a minute, are you under arrest? Am I under arrest? Am I under arrest? Am I under arrest? Am I take your hands off me if I'm not under arrest? If I'm under arrest, I'll come. If I'm wait, not, uh, don't wait, put wait. your hands on me. Is this the way the racist government works? Don't let a man uh, exercise his, his constitutional right? If my Twitter group, you will get I like to make a statement now with this respect. Statement of the Black Panther Party for self-defense on the Mulford Act now pending before the California legislature. The Black Panther Party for self-defense calls upon the American people in general and the black people in particular to take full note of the racist California legislature, which is now considering legislation aimed at keeping the black people disarmed and powerless at the very same time that racist police agencies throughout the country are intensifying the terror, brutality, murder, and repression of black people. says that the Black Panther Party for self-defense calls on the American people in general to take careful note of the racist California legislature. Why do you believe the legislature is, is racist? Don't you know? You're a part of it. You're obviously it's a white system. It's obviously where we at. Do you believe everything that's in that pamphlet? Pamphlet speaks for And so, um, yeah, that audio there was when the Black Panther Party, which they did say that they made a mistake and took a left when they should have took a right and walked into the uh, a House floor of the state legislatures while they were in there. And, you know, um, they still didn't break the law and they had their guns. And so they're freaking out now, talk, you know, jumping under desks, thinking that. You know, somebody was coming in to kill them for being racist, but, you know, that wasn't the intent. They were there to protest, you know, uh, with their arms, with their guns, uh, protest while holding their guns and whatnot. So, um, but they admit that they did not mean to walk on the House floor, even though they didn't break any laws. But after that happened, they were then, you know, accosted by the police, guns confiscated, arrested, put in a put in a cell. And again, as you heard the press statement there that was being read by uh, Bobby Seale, who was uh, at the time the co-founder of the uh, Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And he's talking about, you know, where are the American people? Where are the American people? 
you know, you talk about constitutional rights, but, you know, when it comes to black people defending themselves and other non-white people against a racist, decadent government, oh, not so much. And we see it the same today. We see it the same. We see the same stuff today. In fact, we see these white militias that line themselves against the federal government that whenever the police state uh, comes out in force to oppress uh, nonviolent, you know, uh, defenseless people who are not even using their Second Amendment rights to uh, guarantee that nobody messes with them while they're exercising their First Amendment rights. And not that that's a guarantee because, you know, they they uh, killed many of revolutionaries, just ambushed them. And and, you know, we were, uh, did a couple of interviews on the station last week uh, pertaining to the move organization and, and the uh, sisters coming up for parole um, and, and whatnot and how they dropped the bomb. The Philadelphia Police Department dropped a bomb on their home. But, you know, again. All these people at the time, not even black people in Philadelphia came out and said, hey, this is wrong. You violated those people's constitutional rights. This is police murder. This is a police state. No, 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 they don't. So, you know, um, but I just thought that that's that's just uh, quite interesting. It's always interesting to look back and see at uh, the different reactions to black people then. And, you know, we're pretty much being treated the same today. And so. Many of these brothers and sisters that was involved with the Black Panther Party are, in fact, political prisoners. Now, I want to share some information with you uh, pertaining to the new, uh, pertaining to information that you can find, some of this information, on our Facebook page, Political Prisoner Radio. Uh, there is a new book out by Angela Davis, former Black Panther Party. Uh, she may still consider herself a panther, as some say they're panthers for life. Uh, but she is a professor now. She goes out on the lecture circuit and, and speaks against 21st century slavery and human trafficking through the prisons. But she has a new book out, Angela Davis from Haymarket Books. Uh, the title of the book is Freedom is a Constant Struggle, Ferguson, Palestine, and the Foundations of a Movement. Um, in these newly collected essays, interviews, and speeches, where a renowned activist and scholar Angela Y. Davis illuminates the connections between struggles against state violence and oppression throughout history and around the world. Um, some information that you will find also is from the Electronic Frontier Frontier Foundation Defending Your Rights in the Digital World. They have a nice article that was published by Dave Mass uh, called entitled Defending Prisoner Rights in the digital world 2015 in review so please check that out uh, just look back how uh, electronics communications uh, the internet you know a lot of people talk about internet revolutionaries and they say that in a derogatory uh, fashion but the Black Panther Party and they weren't the first ones, you know, you had other revolutionaries. And, and even if they weren't re revolutionaries, you had political movements who have what? Newspapers. Black Panther Party put, published a newspaper. Marcus Garvey had a newsletter. So, you know, media has always been uh, utilized as a tool to get information to the people and to organize the people around certain issues. Because how can you organize a people who are uninformed? 
about an issue. So I know a lot of people, they like to say they like to throw shots at what they call Internet revolutionaries or even Facebook revolutionaries. But, you know, if you read this article, you will uh, see that all forms of media, all um, electronic tools have been used. You know, and, and it's not just, you know, with new technology, but again, the terrestrial radio was utilized by the civil rights movement. Uh, um, what's the, our uh, elder name who's going on and is with the ancestors now who wrote the book uh, Negroes with Guns, Robert F. Williams, when he was doing regular broadcasts, a weekly broadcast out of Cuba through, over the radio airwaves. So. Um, yeah, check out Defending Prisoner Rights in the Digital World 2015 in review. And I'm not saying that to say that street street uh, activities or going out on the street and having events and, you know, doing work on the street, in the streets, isn't is has been replaced. No, I'm not saying that at all. You cannot replace real world real world face-to-face -face interactions with people it's going to take that you know on a community level if you're going to organize community patrols you're going to feed the people if you're going to provide them with medical care so obviously you can't do that online but what guess what you could do online is inform people that these things do exist and what the services are or why you're organizing and would you like to contribute resources, a dollar or two or five dollars, so that we can support this, what we got going on in this community, offline, in the real world. So, you know, I hate it when I see people use that term, oh, you just a Facebook revolutionary or, or whatever. You know, if you, and then while you're saying that, you're on Facebook. And do you not tell people what, what you're going to be doing later that week through Facebook? So, you know, let's let's just be respectful of each other and let's not minimize uh, anybody's work. Uh, Defending Prisoner Rights in the Digital World 2015 in Review. Again, that is uh, published by Electronic Frontier Foundation at uh, EFF.org. You can find a link to that on our Facebook page, Political Prisoner radio of uh, the Fort Dix five I would consider them uh, political prisoners I don't know that they have declared themselves to be political prisoners I know sister Mijo had one time told me that they have to declare themselves uh, political prisoners before we call them political prisoners but we'll just call these guys uh, prisoners of politics prisoners of politics and I actually you know on a different uh, program on the same station, Black Talk Radio Network, uh, talked about, you know, another case of this black man being set up uh, on where well, I felt like he was being set up or he was caught in an entrapment case sting by an FBI informant who pumped his head full of all of this garbage about, you know, showing his loyalty to ISIS. And we, you know, we don't know the intellectual capacity of some of these people that get caught up in these things and whatnot. But a lot of times it is the informant who is on the payroll of the FBI or the police department. And they are the ones who seek out these individuals and radicalize those individuals, then come up with the plot that they get the individuals to agree to, to carry out or participate in. 
and then you know at the then the F, then they notify their you know caseworker or whatever at the FBI then and you know um arrest everybody so fort these five brothers are back in court um and it is an issue of law enforcement entrapment of suspects on terrorism charges uh so go check that article out you can check it out uh, again find it via our facebook page uh, we had a couple of past events last week on January the 6th, which is about four days ago. They had a town hall meeting um, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for Mamiya Abu-Jamal to update people on his case where he has sued the state of Pennsylvania for access to a, a treatment that has a 95% cure rate for hepatitis C. Okay, and that could have wide implications uh, on prisoner health care, not just in the state of uh, Pennsylvania, but nationwide as it could set a precedent. Uh, on January the 8th, there was, and you can find these linked up on our Facebook page, Political Prisoner Radio. January the 8th, as uh, we reported earlier or last week on this station, uh, there was Eddie Africa Solidarity Day on January the 8th, where people were being asked to call the Pennsylvania uh, Board of Parole. Um, again, you can still call them. All right. You can still call them. Um, they call for it to go on from January the 8th, uh, January 8th. No, actually just January the 8th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So they were just trying to get a whole bunch of people to make these phone calls. Again, electronic, using electronic tools, telephone warfare, you know what I'm saying? Or television, telephone activism, communication activism and whatnot, just utilizing electronics and technology to to do activism on behalf of our political prisoners. So but they were calling for people to call from nine AM to five PM on January the eighth. Um but if I was you, I would still make those calls until uh, he actually goes before the parole board. Now before um I get ready to wrap up uh, this podcast and the next one will be a bit longer um, but we are transitioning to uh, doing podcasts now, and uh, of course we will air these on the radio station Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, but before I go there, uh, let me tell you about, let me see if there's something else that I need to share. Yes, let's check and see if there are any political prisoner birthdays coming up. Uh, I do know in about a week. Uh, there will be a, a a sort of like what they do, birthday dinners for political prisoners. And there are also um, letter writing campaigns. But um, I'll share that information for the next podcast um, as it's quite it's about a week away. And, of course, we'll put the information out on the Facebook page as well uh, about this letter writing campaign that's coming up. Of the uh, so-called end of slavery. Okay, let me just check the calendar, uh, see if we have any birthdays this week. Okay, so Herman Bell has a birthday this week. Uh, again, he's supposed to go before the parole board. We have covered him in some of the past podcasts. Uh, you can find more information by uh, looking him up on our Facebook page or doing a Google search. He has a website, but I don't have that information right offhand. But January the 14th on Thursday will be Herman Bell's 
uh, birthday, uh, birth, sending birthday greetings uh, to Brother Herman Bell, uh, who is being held as a political prisoner in Comstock, New York, at the Great Metal Correctional Facility. Uh, by the way, you can find the political prisoner and prisoner of war birthday calendar at nycabc.wordpress.com. That's nycabc.wordpress.com. Uh, Sundiata Akoli, uh has a birthday also on January the 14th, so he shares a birthday with Brother Herman Bell. Uh, both of these uh, were members of the Black Panther Party. Uh, I'm not sure of Herman. Uh, but I know Sundiata was part of the Black Liberation Army. Um, he was with um, Sister um, Asada Shakur when the New Jersey Police Department or members of the New Jersey Police Department attempted to assassinate Asada Shakur along with the other Panthers that were riding in the car with her. And one of those uh, individuals was Sundiata Akoli, also um, known by government name Clark Squire. And the uh, court, I think it's New Jersey court, has already ruled, Supreme Court, that is, state Supreme Court, has already ruled that they have to let Sundiata uh, go, that he has served all his time, that the parole board just can't keep holding him. He served his time under New Jersey law, but I have yet to hear anything else since we had reported about that months ago, months ago, and I, it's just information slow, so Sending birthday greetings to, greetings to our elder uh, revolutionary Sundiata Akoli. And last but not least, Joseph Bowen uh, has a birthday coming up. Uh, Joseph Bowen uh, has a birthday on January the 15th. Uh, he is incarcerated at SCI Coal Township in Coal Township, Pennsylvania. Uh, give me just a second. Uh, yes, Sundiata is at FCI Cumberland, FCI Cumberland in Maryland. Uh, he's being housed in Maryland. Okay, so uh, Joseph Bowen. Not aware of Joseph Bowen's name. Well, it's not familiar to me. I, I know that uh, he's considered as a political prisoner. It's just not a case I've come across. Hopefully, we can get some of his advocates and listeners to uh, contact us and come on a future broadcast and speak about this man. Uh, jo Jojo Bowen is a Black Liberation Army, so he, okay, uh, Black Liberation Army, uh, and uh, he's a prisoner of war serving two life sentences for the assassination of a prison warden and deputy warden, as well as an attempted prison bait break which resulted in a five-day standoff okay a uh, native of philadelphia he was a young member of the 30th and north street gang before his incarceration politicized him released in 1971 his outside activism was cut short a week following his release when jojo was confronted by an officer of the notoriously brutal philadelphia police department yeah they they, they used the same people they dropped a bomb on the move family killed 11 people including children the police officer was killed in the conference confrontation and bowen fled after his capture and incarceration bowen became a black liberation army combatant defiant to authorities at every turn so you read more about him at denverabc.wordpress.com shout out and sending birthday greetings to 
uh, Elder Revolutionary Joseph Bowen. All right, that's all the information that I have for you today. Uh, please share this podcast with others so that they can become more informed about political prisoners and prisoners of war that are being held by the U.S. government. This is Stoddy Reed signing out. You know, we do whatever we do to survive. Right? Drop it. Oh.